The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you comfortable discussing money and your personal wealth? If not, where would you start? Is it money and your family, money and charitable contributions, or business and personal wealth? This is Conversations with Money, featuring your hosts, Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our show is about real people talking about money. You will develop a better understanding about your conversations with money and also hopefully develop some new habits to make conversations about money easier. Now, here is Franco and Marissa. Welcome. You're listening to Conversations with Money. I'm your host, Franco Calgary. And I'm your host, Marissa Seplinski. It's good to be back in the seat, Marissa. <laughs> I was just thinking that last week it was Ali and I, and we kept saying, not Franco. Nice to have you back, Franco. It's tough not to say me. Right? right? No, to well. To say Franco Calgary. <laughs> I know. I it's, a, it's tough shoes to fill. I'm not going to lie. Ali did well. She, she did. did well. You guys did great. I yeah. listened to the show. Talking about men show. versus women. It was an interesting topic to not have a guy present for. Have two women talk about <laughs> A male's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, but can, uh, welcome you know back. Go ahead and have a I mean, male host. Back. I'm saying you welcome back. Yeah, yeah welcome back to you. Go Thank ahead you. and have a male host on with you, and you should talk about the women versus men. Go for it. Well, I'd like get, to hear that. Our guest today, maybe we will arrange Maybe that. we could change oh. the whole conversation. <laughs> Hi, Hello, Richard. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm getting myself into here. <laughs> We're going to not talk about law and wills and power of attorney. We're going to talk about men versus women. Well, first of all, oh, I just actually want to ask you. I just want to ask you first. Uh, you had a big, uh, big week. I did. I did a big week. You mean well? Weekend week leading up was uh, intense and actually a lot of preparing. And then Saturday, mm-hmm. I had a fifty-kilometer ultra marathon that I ran, and that was good. It was a solid five hours and fifteen minutes of running without stopping. Wow. And, How many kilometers? Uh, Fifty kilometers. What's that? Miles. Uh, For 30, countries that use miles. Thirty-two. Thirty. Two miles. I believe 32. Wow. Yeah, it's 1.6, 1.6. Congratulations. Yeah, you came in what place? Um, I came second in my age category for women. So it was just, an, it was, it was. I, you know what, I made a few mistakes. I learned a lot. Um, I had a really good support. It was definitely a huge part of it was having, having uh, awesome support there in terms of Chris had all my stuff on the side, so I never had to stop. I could just keep running the whole time, but... I went out too fast at the beginning. Chris, your partner. Yes, yes. I went out too fast at the beginning, and uh, I paid for it down the road because 40 to 50K, I was just, like, mm. dragging, and my time slowed down. Um, I did the reverse of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go out slow and then slowly get faster and faster, and you and finish strong. Up. I went out fast, excited, feeling really fresh and really good and great and wanting to run. It was good, though. I've, I've spent a lot of time. I rode out everything the next day and yesterday and I wrote out what it was like for me and what I learned and all the things that I did and what I could have done better so that I could go back next year and do better. So I'll definitely be doing it next year, but it'd be implementing the strategy that I intended on implementing. Mm. Just it, when sometimes you can have a plan, you can have a plan and then it comes and then I don't know what happens, but it's interesting. Interesting. You it's can throw good, your plan out the window. It's a good segue into today's talk. But first, before we get into it, I just 
when yeah. I ask you. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you drove. I'm assuming you drove. Well, we, and you took a ferry. We took a ferry. We took a ferry. We usually fly over, but we took a ferry this time. Mm. Yeah. Um, where are you going here? Well, I just want to ask because I'm, I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm concerned. As your business partner. <laughs> yes, Franco. Do you have a will? Hi, Richard. Oh, hey. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Do, 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 you? do you? Do you have a will? Funny, I was really hoping I thought about this on the weekend. I was like, I'm doing a radio show <laughs> on the importance of wills. And I, uh, it's been on my list for a while. And I'm one of those people that I shake my head at and whatever. It's, the, it's been on my list and I haven't done it. Truth be told, I haven't gone to it yet. And oh. it's on my list. It is on my list. So I was, Chris, 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 I'd, I'd be in partnership with Chris. Is something happened to you then? be in partner. Wow. Oh. Is that how that, that's what happens? Well, today we're going to be getting into that. So, yes. Marissa, Richard's got you, his and, eyebrows and, and, up. And trust me, Marissa, you're in good company. There's, there's I mean, a there's high a percentage of, of the population that, that right? are like you that don't have a will. And for those of you who don't know Richard, Richard Weiland, he's a partner and a estate planning lawyer with Clark Wilson. And a member of the firm's wealth preservation group, Richard, has helped us, and it's Franco and I, with a lot of our clients. Uh, yes, get, yes. Take that next step in preparing the will and making sure that all of that is taken care of. That's been a big part of our business. Uh, funny, similarly, how I was talking about my race and the team approach and how what it takes to you know have a, a race go well. Similar with the financial planning, we always talk about the team approach and making sure that we're working with the accountant and working with the lawyer. And I know Richard, we've brought you into a lot of a lot of cases that we work yes, on. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, maybe you'll be sitting down with me next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It might, might be a good idea. It's probably time. Right? I know. Well, it's... thanks for having me here today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. So, Richard, uh, tell, us, tell us what it means. Well, actually, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get right into talking about Wales and Powers of Attorney. Okay, so I, I'm a lawyer. Um, my practice is here in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, I practice in the area of of, of uh, wealth preservation and estate planning. So my uh, my practice is helping clients. Uh, a lot of them are business owners or other high net worth individuals, and I'm just uh, helping them to um, to identify what their estate planning objectives are, and then I help them to carry those out. And um, as you were saying a minute ago, that's often done in the context of working with other uh, advisors and other members of the client's um, advisory team, mm -hmm. whether it be financial advisors or uh, and, and accountants and others. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so we keep you busy. Yes, exactly. So the, the other professionals keep you busy. Now, do, do you ever have it where individuals are calling you up and saying, I need a will? So they're not coming through uh, an advisor or planner or an accountant, but they're just calling you up directly. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, a lot of the clients that I get are, um, are that they've made contact initially through a, a referral source, but uh, we also have a, a, a strong internet presence, as you do, and um, so sometimes people will just find us on the internet, or they'll find us in. Um, sometimes I don't even know how they find us. Find us, and um, I'll get a phone call out of the blue, and somebody saying. Yeah, it's time for me to um, to do my estate planning, or maybe to revisit my estate planning. Yeah, it's funny. I remember we met with me recently. Um, the it's time to uh, he had tried to do his will on his own three times, 
And he said he just kept trying, and he just, he, well, he laughed when I asked him if he had had his will done, and he said he tried three times, and he just never completed it. And he knew that it was something, so he was finally saying, I need to ask for help. Doing it on yeah. my own is not happening. Do you find that a lot with people? Yeah, you know, the estate planning process, um, and you're actually a good example of this, Marissa. Yeah. It's something that um, everybody knows. That See, should, I did it, it just to be a good example. It, it, exactly. To let other people thanks, feel better thanks, about themselves. <laughs> thanks for setting that <laughs> yes, up so well. <laughs> everybody knows at some level the importance of doing their estate planning, of, of having a will and, and possibly putting other pieces into place for their estate planning. Um, we, we all at some level know that that's an important thing to do, but there are barriers to getting that done. Um, and you know, I think the largest one is probably simply a psychological barrier of just um, getting around to it the first time and mm -hmm. dealing with it. It seems to be, it's one of those things that we know that's, that's important, but it's never urgent, or at least we think that it's never urgent mm -hmm. because we think we're not going to die. Um, other barriers are people may be potentially afraid of the, the costs or they may be, may be afraid of engaging in the process and what conflicts might come out with other family members if they um, engage in the estate planning process. Mm -hmm. I would also add on top of that too that uh, I think there's a myth out there or belief that if they start thinking about that they're going to die, they actually are going to die. And I've actually had it where people have said that I haven't done it just because you know, if I go start the process, something's going to happen to me. Yeah, I guess at a kind of a deep <laughs> level, right? Some people are just aren't ready to face uh, their own mortality right. and, and don't really want to think about it. Well, there's two things that are guaranteed. I think all of us know there are taxes and death. So, mm. yes. so planning for each of them definitely is a benefit. I call that job security. Job security, yes. So absolutely. wait, can we go back to me for a second with the... Can we go back to me for a second? It's all about you, Marissa. No, I didn't this mean it like that. You. I didn't Conversation mean it like... with Marissa. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but that did come out that way, I'm realizing. No, when I said, uh, when you said so you would be in business with... Um, my boyfriend, if something happened to me, is that how? So, what would happen? Let's just say, hypothetically, mm -hmm. Richard, something did happen to me, uh, uh, and I had no will. The fairy right. sank. The fairy sank. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, let's think, I think about it's a good let, example. Let's think about that. So, you, um, you, how is your business structured here? Your, your partners in this We're business? 50 /50. 50 /50. Your, your, your partners. And so, yeah. presumably, you have some kind of business agreement or partnership agreement that governs that arrangement. Yes. Right. So, um, you know, the starting, in, in terms of dealing with the business and the partnership, there are probably terms within your partnership agreement that would say what happens uh, if, when, this, if, some, if one of the partners dies. Similarly to, to me and my law firm, um, you know, there's a partnership agreement that governs the relationship between the partners. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously if, if I died, for example, um, there wouldn't be an expectation that my wife would become a member of partnership, um, that's simply not the way that it works. So it, that um, issues like that in terms of dealing with the business are usually governed primarily by uh, the agreement as between the, the parties carrying on business together. Okay. But with respect to other things that you might uh, own, other assets that you might own personally, um, you know, the question would be if you own them yourself, Marissa, uh, and then you died, um, there might be a bit of a, a question mark, first of all, as to who is going to deal with those assets and secondly, who they were going to go to. <clears throat> Interesting. Yes. Now, does everybody right, Chris need a will? I was going to go home tonight and Chris is like... Has <laughs> a will drawn up for yeah. you? Secretly email Richard. <laughs> uh, does everybody need a will? Let's say somebody who's um, under 25 or under 30 and not a lot of assets. The, the person who doesn't need a will is the person who doesn't own anything. Um, it's absolutely nothing. Right, because a, a will essentially deals with... Uh, a, a will specifies 
at the core of it, it can do other things as well, but at the core of it, a will specifies what happens to my assets when I die. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some assets that, uh, that aren't governed by a will. For example, things that I hold jointly with my wife, if we, if we have joint title to them, then when I die, I simply um, cease to be the owner of that property and she becomes the owner by right of survivorship. And so that, that is not governed by a will and doesn't need a will in order to happen. Mm -hmm. But anything that I own personally, so my own bank accounts, my own investment accounts, my own my car, um, I, I need a will to say what happens with that property when I die. And also, uh, importantly, who is entitled to or who is the person that has the power to deal with those things when I die. Mm -hmm. If I don't have those things in place, then uh, th there are other procedures that can be followed. Um, here in British Columbia, somebody would have to make an application to become the administrator of the estate, but, it, but um, it wouldn't be clear in the first instance who that would be. Are you talking about British Columbia? Is it the same across Canada? Uh, the laws uh, here for what happens when somebody dies without a will, we call that intestacy, um, they're quite similar across most of the Canadian provinces and from what I understand throughout the U.S. as well, but there would be subtle differences from one area to another. Okay. And how about, because um, we're, we're, we're global and we have a lot of listeners that are outside North America, what would they be facing? Or is it similar to, to what we have here? Yes. So, um, and that, that tests the limits of my knowledge a little bit more in terms of dealing with international laws and, and how they deal with intestacy. <clears throat> I could say certainly that in, in the common law jurisdictions like the United Kingdom and, and other common law jurisdictions, um, the laws would be, uh, they would tend to be quite similar. Um, so there will typically be a legislated scheme that says if a person dies without a will, then their assets uh, automatically go to the persons that are set out in the legislation. And typically it starts with your closest family members and, and, uh, and goes out from there if you don't have uh, close family members. Mm -hmm. So really just in whatever country you're in, just check your local lot or go to a lawyer and, and ask those questions and to see what's... Exactly. I think it it's a good idea for everybody to ask that question. If you don't have a will, ask the question, what would happen mm -hmm. if I died? And start to think through that. Think about the things that you own and think, um, you know, under my local laws um, in my jurisdiction, what would happen to those things? And how far is that from what I would want to happen? And, and that'll answer the question of, of how important is it to make a will. Mm -hmm. How about power of attorney? Let's bring it back here. So power of attorney. Yes. What's the reason to have a power of attorney? Now, there are two types of power of attorneys from what we understand. There's for your health care and for your financial assets. Right, right. So is there a reason so, to have them? Right. So a will, um, a will is planning for your death. And a will specifies, as I said, what happens to, primarily to your assets when you die. <clears throat> um, what, what you're asking, Franco, is... Um, uh, is about incapacity planning. So what happens if I don't die, but, you know, using Marissa as an example again, if she was in an accident and, mm -hmm. and didn't die, but was in a state where she could no longer make decisions for herself or couldn't communicate those decisions. And, and so that gets into the incapacity planning. Um, a power of attorney is a common uh, planning tool to plan for incapacity. And essentially a, a power of attorney is a document by which we name somebody to exercise certain authorities on our behalf when we become incapacitated, okay? And, and uh, a power of attorney can deal with 
financial affairs, and then there's there's and this depends on the jurisdiction a little bit, but there's a different document. Sometimes it's called a power of attorney. Um, here here it's called something different, but there will be another document that's used to give somebody the authority to make health care and personal care decisions on your behalf. So if somebody does not have a power of attorney or representation agreement, yes, what would happen? Yes, yeah, so who, who would, would be make it those? for me? Yeah. Like so let's say yeah. I couldn't make decisions. Who would that default? To? I will. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> I don't think so, so. So Franco's putting up his hand. Uh, he's volunteering. That's and, it. That's and, interesting. And, and, and actually, imagine you and Chris are both like, I'm going to make the decisions. Who does it fall to? Does it fall to your partner? Well, it, it really falls to, um, <laughs> in, so let's let's discuss the financial, dealing with your financial affairs, first of all. So dealing with your financial affairs, um, really nobody would have the authority to do that. So if, if you owned a house and your mortgage payment needed to be made or your bills needed to be paid, um, nobody has the authority to access your bank accounts and, and make that for you. Somebody would actually have to apply to the court to get the authority to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the healthcare decision side... So wait, so wait, let's go back to that mortgage. Sure, yeah, so would that mortgage yeah. actually <clears throat> default? So say neither my partner or my business partner had access to my financials, would that mean that my mortgage would just default? If nobody was there to make the payment, uh, yeah, the bank would start to wonder what was going on, and and there there would be a default uh, as soon as you missed a payment. Yes, which would mean I could eventually I could potentially lose my asset, and then I come out of it yep. and I'm able to make decisions again. I wake up and my asset is potentially now gone. Yep, that that's a possible outcome. Yes, and, and on top of that too, your credit score and everything that affected it while I was in this somewhat coma state. Yep. Wow. Okay, so wait, hang on. I just want to go keep I just want to explore this a bit further because I think this is important because I think there's a lot of people like me that are, you know, maybe mid thirties thinking, I don't need a will, you know, I don't have kids, I don't have I'm not married. I what's the big you know, why would I what's the urgency? But if I have worked hard until this point to accumulate any assets, even if it's just a property, if God forbid something should happen to me and I'm incapacitated or unable to make a decision, but I am going to come out of it I'm risking losing what I've worked so hard to build, which is my wealth. So I'm not protecting my wealth if I don't take this step, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And and it's really it's really just a small amount of planning. Uh, you know, it's not a complicated mm-hmm. exercise that someone like yourself would have to go through. Um, I just sold myself on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, realistically speaking, if it, if it came to that point, probably somebody from your family would step in and make that application to the court in order to get control of your assets, right, but, but how it would, long but it does would that be, take? it would be costly, and It'd it would costly, take, a, and it would take a long time. Yes. And and I imagine, I mean, personally, if I'm the if I'm the person incapacitated, I want my partner uh, beside me, you know, taking care of me as best as I can to help me get come back to life, than rather not be dealing with court applications and asking for. Uh, the ability to gain access to my financials. Absolutely, it's the it's the last thing that you would want your loved ones to be dealing All with. All right, Richard, you got my attention. Okay, so you got my attention. Okay. <laughs> I know we're on to a break, but I think this is a great. Uh, this is a great. You know, I think it's a. I think it's important to talk about why it's important, not just for the obvious estate planning individuals later in life to make sure that their assets are passed on the way they wish, but also how do we protect it at a younger age? And I think Well, while you're living mm-hmm. and make sure that uh, your future doesn't get affected mm-hmm. uh, while you're going through a period of time that um, uh, that you should actually be taking care of yourself and your family should be helping you and support you yeah. to, to get uh, better. We're going to go to a break. I know. So we'll, I want to continue on because now I want to tackle the healthcare side of things, mm-hmm. uh, representation on the healthcare. So we'll see everybody on the other side.
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Conversations with Money with Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at capitalcorefinancial.com. Now, back to Conversations with Money. Welcome back. I uh, hope you enjoyed the, the break there. Uh, before we went on to the break, Richard uh, was was uh, sharing with us what would happen if we didn't have representation agreement or power of attorney for our financial decisions. And Marissa, you mm-hmm. really got into it and was really looking at uh, at uh, the consequences and what would happen to the people that are, you care about and the, what they would have to go through. Yeah, I think it's easier generally to just to fall into the, you know, I'll do it later mindset with things like that. You know, I, I remember different conversations with people over the years where they've been like, ah, I'll deal with it, I'll deal with it. And, and I've let that go on. And I've said, oh, no big deal. It's just a will. They'll deal with it. Or they say they'll they'll download, there's an app, or that you can buy it for $100 a book and do it yourself. But if they leave it to themselves, none of those people ever, ever, ever closed that loop and completed it. And I remember every time I followed up, um, thinking, how much do I push them on this? And I feel differently about it now, even just from that 10-minute conversation, because it... I think when I try it on for myself and I realize what would happen and what you're putting at risk for such a small transactional, uh, for such a small transaction, you know, in terms of making that, that, taking that step in terms of doing the preparation. Yeah, how long does it take to set one up? That's a great, yeah. To, to set up uh, basic estate planning, will, and, and power of attorney, for example. Yes. Uh, you know, typically the process can be done um, with a qualified uh, lawyer or attorney within a week or two. Hmm. A week, and then how many hours? How many hours? Yeah, so how many it, hours it'd be basically one, uh, one meeting usually in, in many people's case. Some people are more complex, but in the typical case, it's it's one meeting to take instructions. It's a it's a phone call after that, and then it's a follow-up meeting to sign the document. So maybe two hours total, three hours? Yeah, something like that. For the individual, yep. spend time, yep. invest that time. Uh, and, and as I said, you know, there, there are more complex sure. cases, of course. But uh, for somebody whose who's affairs are simple, it can be as simple as that. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you're enjoying this conversation and want to actually get involved in this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter or connect with us on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at your money matters. Uh, the matters, there is no E. We like to make things different. So at your money matters, M A T T R S. Or you can send us an email, and the email is info at capitalcorefinancial.com or call in. Love to have you uh, call in. Toll free number is 1 866 472 5790. We were talking about uh, healthcare. So if someone does not have representation for their healthcare, what could happen there? Mm-hmm. So if, if something happened to me, uh, if I had an accident and, and I became incapacitated, say I was in a coma, um, the, if I haven't specified who has the authority to make decisions on my behalf, then um, in, certainly in, in where we live, the way that it works is the, the, the law will specify um, who the, the substitute healthcare decision maker is, and so there's there's a list um, that the law sets out that that basically starts with. Um, in, in my case, it would start with my spouse. If my spouse wasn't available, it would it would then be. Um, my children, but they're not old enough to do that, and so then it would go to parents, and then from there it would go out to brothers and sisters. So it would follow a, a designated list, and basically the the doctors would be looking to the people on that list uh, to make and uh, to make those substitute healthcare decisions. Now, one of the issues there is, of course, for the you know the typical clients that I talk to, a lot of them have adult children, um, and they may have three or four children, and all of those children have. Uh, equal status in terms of giving healthcare instructions, but the children may have very different personalities and may have actually very different thoughts mm. on um, on the instructions that they would want to give. So it sets up the potential for conflict in those scenarios, and that's why um, I, I will typically in that type of situation, I'll recommend to my clients that they put together a, a document. Here it's called a representation agreement. In other jurisdictions, it may be called a, a power of attorney for healthcare or something different. Um, but basically to set out in a document who they want to exercise that authority to make healthcare decisions uh, on their behalf. Now, if can you describe what um, some of those conflicts would be? The, the types of conflicts? Yeah. Well, it, it's, you know, it, it, let's just take a, a practical example. Um, somebody is, is getting elderly um, and has, uh, say, early onset dementia, and um, a decision has to be made at some point as to when this person is going to move out of their house mm-hmm. and into a care facility, okay? Um, now, that's a difficult decision, and, and um, y- you know, uh, uh, if the... Um, if the individual is still capable of making that decision and, and communicating that decision, that's fine. They can ex- express their own wishes. But their disease may get to a point where um, they can no longer communicate their own wishes. And um, you, you may have um, one child who's saying, you know, I want, them, I want the parent to remain at home. Uh, that's where they're the most comfortable and that's where I think they want to be. And another child saying, you know what, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not going to get the care that they need at home, right? Both of those children may be very well-meaning. They may have, may have both have the best intentions of their parents at heart, um, but they may have very different ideas in, in terms of how to carry that out. And that sets up the potential for conflict. Have you seen any nightmare situations or what we would call nightmare stories? Yeah, in terms of a failure, generally speaking, failure to do estate planning? Yeah. Um, I, I have seen um, I have seen some difficult situations, absolutely. I've seen, um, 
you know, obviously I, I can't give you any any particulars of in terms of uh, client details, but just generally speaking, um, I, I've witnessed a situation where uh, somebody died without a will, um, was, uh, uh, you know, parent to some young children, and essentially the the law, the way that it works uh, here in our jurisdiction is, uh, in a case like that, the estate gets divided between the spouse, the surviving spouse, and the children. But the children are minors, and so you know they're under the age of of, of eighteen, and they can't hold assets in their own hands, um, and and basically they don't have the legal capacity to um, to hold the assets themselves and so what happens in a case like that is uh, the public guardian and trustee comes in and holds the share for the infants well if that individual had done their estate planning they very likely would have left the entire estate to the spouse and left it to the spouse to take care of the kids but now you've got a, a public institution coming in taking over looking over the shoulder charging fees for doing so for managing the funds for these kids and it's not accessible until they turn uh, 19. Uh, it's so crazy when we think that so many of the objections in terms of not preparing it earlier on is I'll just I don't have the money right now to do it or I'll just do it later. It, you know any any financial objection I think now when someone comes to it, it, I feel clear on throwing back at them how much more expensive it could be if they don't do it. You know that's the yeah, common what, thing what I, I hear from all of these disaster yeah. stories is how much not just not just you don't want to be dealing with it because of the emotion of what's going on that you're dealing with in those later times, but how much more financially draining it can be as, as a reactive piece. Yeah, and, and to flip that around and say it, say that in a um, or to frame it in a, a positive way, what I would what I would say to my clients is listen this. <coughs> the, likely, very likely, the largest financial transaction that will ever um, occur in your lifetime is your death, um, hmm. because basically um, all of your assets that you own at that point um, are going to pass to somebody. Now, do you want to be in control of of what happens at that point? Do you want to be the one who specifies what happens at that point, or do you just want to leave it to um, the defaults and what the what the government says and um, and you know, a little bit of chance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think most people, when it comes down to it, they do want to have a say about that. It is important to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea of leaving everything that we work so hard to build, our whole lives to build, to chance, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't feel very good for me. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and uh, Richard, you're talking about a public trustee. Is that uh, terminology that yes. you had used? Yes. Who are they? Who are they? They are yeah. a uh, they are a an arm of the government, um, and their role is uh, there's a number of things that they do, but but part of their role is to uh, protect vulnerable people such as um, persons with disabilities and and children, um, in cases where there isn't anybody else uh, put in place to protect those people, mm -hmm. um, especially in terms of dealing with financial assets. Now you you spoke on. About the fee that they charge, what is that fee? Yeah, so uh, where they where they come in and administer assets, uh, say in the example I was giving for uh, children, um, and I don't have it at my fingertips in terms of what exactly the fee is, but they would be charging uh, a percentage of the assets under management, and uh, they would be charging. Uh, first of all, a fee up front, a capital fee, which could be two or three or four percent, um, and then uh, of of the assets that they take in, and then annually uh, for every year that they're managing the assets, they're going to charge another care and management fee. 
Um, so it can really add up, right? So you think about, as financial advisors, you think about, you know, you're trying to get returns for your clients. Um, now, if, if you're taking, uh, you know, 3 or 4% off the top and then say another, you know, 0.4% per year, um, that really grinds into your returns. And I would also argue, would they have their best interest, your, your best interest at heart? And I mean, well, I, 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 absolutely. You know, I think that they they have a, a job to do, and I think sure. they, they do they do their job well. But the thing is, they're they're very prescribed in terms of what they can and can't do. So, um, you know, they they don't have the flexibility that a private trustee would have. For example, if you set up a in your will, if you set up a trust for your children, you're going to give the flexibility for those funds to be used for the children's benefit. Well, the public guardian and trustee isn't going to have that flexibility if there's been no planning. So they're just basically going to put the money into an account. They're going to hold it there. It's going to earn a little bit of interest, but there's also going to be fees. And then when the child turns 19, they're going to pay whatever's left to the child. So mm -hmm. it's it's just not very flexible at all. And do they provide a monthly income for the support of the child or children? No. So they're they're strictly in in that scenario. They're strictly holding the funds until mm -hmm. the child turns nineteen, and then they're turning it over. That just sounds scary to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you think about it in the in the context of um, you know somebody who's a parent who's built up significant wealth. And now half of their estate, in terms of their own personal assets. Now, this again, this only refers to the things that they're not holding jointly. But uh, potentially, um, up to half of that estate could be set aside for their children and be inaccessible to anybody in the family until the children become adult. Hmm. Now, if if both uh, of the spouse um, or the parents die, and there's no will, what happens there? Uh, if both of the parents die yes. and there's no will, there's no will. So um, the the legislation would say in that case that the the estate would be divided between their children. Um, so it, yeah, depending on uh, if they left children, it would be divided equally between them. And if they're under the age of eighteen uh, here in Canada, in BC here, yep. that's where the the public trustee comes in. That's right. Okay. To to hold the funds on behalf of the children. So if there's no will and there hasn't been any legal guardian um, stated uh, from the parents yes. because there's no representation or there's nothing that's been documented. Yeah. What happens there? Who makes that decision? Yeah, no, that's really good that you're bringing that up, Franco. So another important reason for parents of minor or young children to do a will uh, is that it gives you the opportunity to specify who the guardian, the legal guardian of the children would be um, if both of the parents died. And... Um, in, in the absence of doing that, it's, it's essentially left up to uh, anybody who wants to, really, to apply for guardianship of the children. That's another area where you can often end up with uh, disputes because you might have the grandparents coming in and saying, uh, we're the best people to raise these children now that the parents have died. Um, or And you might have the friends coming in and saying, no, actually, we know that the parents wanted us to keep the kids in this community and keep them in their school. Um, and you might have... Um, you know, a, a sibling on another side of the family saying we're the best people, um, and they all might be going into court then and fighting over who will have guardianship of the child simply because the parents didn't specify uh, their own. Uh, they didn't take the time to appoint their own guardian in their will. Pretty deep uh, thoughts to 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 consider. Um, but however, I think we're getting the point that if you don't have your wishes documented. 
you're, you're leaving it to chance. Yeah, exactly. It, and it's, you know, I think um, most people will find once they take the initial steps of reaching out to, to a professional, um, uh, making some initial inquiries about the process, they'll find that it's not maybe as, uh, as painful a process as they thought it was going to be. Um, actually, yeah, especially when you explain it as like potentially three hours, you're just like, okay, how can I make use the excuse of it's, it's, it's really not that dragging of a, you know, on my to-do list, some of the items are 20, 30, 40, 50 hours of stuff. Yeah. This is like a two to three hour task. Task and it's done. Yeah, like, it's, it's really you really have no excuse. Well, we plan. We, we put more effort and time into planning a vacation than we do totally. with with potentially serious yeah. consequences. And I imagine there's a lot of people with the objections that I gave. Like I imagine I'm not the first person that I imagine you deal with a lot of Marissa type. You know, uh, I was going to get to it, or I don't. I'm not married with kids. You know, it's not that important to me right now, but. I mean, uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I see lots of people who fall into that category or people who will make comments. Um, you know, I need to talk to you soon about my estate planning. It's something that I need to get done. And then mm -hmm. they'll come to me a year later and say, yeah, you know, I still need to talk to you about my mm -hmm. estate planning. And, you know, I say, well, when are we going to do it? Oh, well, I'll get back to you. Right? I know. And it's interesting because it's also like whose responsibility is it? We get that all the time. Yeah. I get that all the time. I need to talk to you about financial planning. Oh, I need to talk to you about insurance. I need to talk to you about investments. And then I, you know, and then I try to follow up or then, and then they say, oh, I'll get to it soon. I'll get to it soon. And mm -hmm. then whose responsibility ultimately it's my responsibility to reach out to you if I want you to help me prepare this and say I'm ready I want to do it I want to prepare well yeah but absolutely you know the obviously the the, the first step has to come from mm -hmm. um, from the individual who, who needs to do the planning right um, I I don't have time uh, to, to chase to, down to chase every down. single person yeah, who exactly. tells you who that they, uh, yeah so, uh, yeah you've got to take the step um, mm -hmm. so you know just uh, pick up the phone and make a call and say, mm -hmm. I want to set up a meeting. And it'll, mm -hmm. from there, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So get your will done, Marissa. I know, right? Was this whole episode to entice me to get my will done? So, Franco, do you have your will done? I'm going to put you on, on the spot here. Yes. Yeah. Did you bring the paperwork from her? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been smart. You had it all pre filled. <laughs> That's Why so is weird. Why is everything here? listed to Franco? What? <laughs> Uh, well, I think this is an important uh, discussion to to be had, and and to actually uh, to sit down with your partner, spouse, or even if you're on your own, because uh, one one of the comments that we we're going to go into a break here pretty soon, but one one of the comments that we hear from younger individuals is, uh, especially if we're talking about disability insurance or critical illness, it'll never happen to me. Actually, what they say is. My parents will take care of me. Oh, and if they if I die, then, then oh well, everything will go to my parents. But and that may be leading into something that is not a one minute <laughs> answer. But if an individual doesn't have a will, can they can can a, a former partner or boyfriend girlfriend come in and say, oh, hold on, we were together for so many years. This person would want me to have the assets. I know we're going. Let's go into a break and let's continue this Wait, up because see, this is see, a big. You just, you, asked, you asked a big oh, question. Was, okay, okay, so you have to tune in. Make sure you tune and, in. And then yeah, I've got a lot. Of, I've got a lot actually on this too. Okay. okay, we're going on to a break. We will talk about this more on the other side. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. you are listening to Conversations with Money with Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at capitalcorefinancial.com. Now, Back to Conversations with Money. Welcome back. Uh, today we're talking with uh, Richard uh, Whalen? Wyland. Wyland. Yes. <laughs> uh, my apologies. That's why I looked at Richard no right in his eyes. Um, Richard, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Okay. Well, you can uh, look on our firm's website, which is www.cwilson.com that's c-w-i-l-s-o-n.com that's probably the best way to find my contact information okay uh, are you on any social media platforms yes uh, my twitter handle is uh, at r-t-wyland that's r-t-w-e-i-l-a-n-d and um, I can also be found on LinkedIn perfect a personal Facebook page I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, before the break, uh, I had asked you a question, and um, didn't mean to tease everybody there, but uh, um, the question—I'm trying to remember what the question was myself. You—you—you you, you were asking a question about um, uh, if I—if I remember it properly, you were asking a question about essentially um, when does a person who when does a person acquire the rights of a spouse, so so that if if somebody dies, that they would um, have the right to inherit or partner um, or yeah, because could. Some other individual, former partner, yes, girlfriend, boyfriend can come in. Thank you, Richard. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you know, as we were talking about earlier, if, if I die without a will, um, the the law says that at least part of my estate uh, goes to my um, spouse. And uh, here in, in British Columbia, spouse uh, can mean somebody who's legally married. Spouse also includes, for these purposes, um, so a common law uh, partner. So, so common law is two years. The common law is basically somebody who's been living together um, in a marriage-like relationship for a period of two years or more. And um, and and essentially for the purposes of estate, um, 
laws, uh, such uh, once you reach that level, you have the same rights as uh, as a married spouse. And so, um, you know, we see cases sometimes where somebody dies and they've been living together with somebody, and it's not clear from the circumstances whether, first of all, sometimes it's not clear how long they've been living together, and it's also not clear in some cases what the nature exactly of the relationship is, because mm-hmm. as you can imagine, human relationships take on many different many different forms, and um, you know sometimes people will be holding themselves out as one thing to the public, and then uh, another story comes out after death, and sometimes that story is genuine, and sometimes the story is coming from somebody who really just wants to get a share in the estate. So that's another um, another situation where it's very important to do estate planning is if you're in a relationship with somebody and um, you know there may be um, uh, you know family members who aren't happy about the relationship and you've been living together for a while um, it's really important to clarify what you want to have happen do you want that person to uh, be a beneficiary of your estate when you die do you not want them to be a beneficiary of your estate when you die you should get those things down on paper because there's going to be uh, there's a high likelihood of being a dispute about it if you don't do that planning. So if I don't specify and I don't have the plan done, let's say fast forward and mm-hmm. I'm not, we're no longer common law, let's say we're married. Yeah. Does that mean if I die, it defaults to him, to my partner? Yeah, so so you so (laughs) if you're 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 legally married and you and you don't have children, then the law and again I can I'm 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 talking locally here, although many um, many jurisdictions would be the same. So in in a situation like that, if you died without a will, your entire estate would go to your spouse, and so that's you know that's in many cases not a bad outcome. Although it's probably going to take longer to administer your estate than it would if you had uh, done a simple will and naming him as your executor. Right, huh? Something to think about for sure. It's well, because when you when you pass away, uh, actually, a question I, I have is if if a individual passes away, can a former girlfriend boyfriend come in and 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 seek um, some? Some form of the the estate or some residual so, of the estate. Some, some, someone where the relationship has ended. Yes. Before the death. Yeah. Right. Well, typically no. Typically, uh, a person where the relationship has has clearly ended some time before they will no longer have any rights as a spouse to to inherit. Um, you know, there, there there can be situations sometimes where. This, this leads into a different scenario, which is where somebody has done some estate planning and maybe named somebody in a will or maybe named somebody as a beneficiary under certain accounts, but then they haven't revisited their estate planning for a period of time. Um, they, then you might have a situation where maybe it's an ex-spouse. Um, they end up getting a benefit under the estate that really if the person had done their planning properly, um, that ex-spouse would not have received anything. And it's just uh, a matter of forgetting to update the estate planning. So how many, how many years um, would you say or, or how many times should someone uh, visit their will during their lifetime? Is it uh, every couple of years or once every 10 years? Or once yeah, every I feel 20? like I always hear horror stories of people not having revisited their will and then they die and their wife realizes that their ex-wife was the person on the will or the ex-husband and it was never updated. I've heard, yes. heard those stories, I imagine. And you see I, those I, can, I can give you an example of, of um, 
so one that I saw where there was uh, somebody died without, or some, sorry, somebody died leaving a will, but the will was many years old, and in his will he had left everything to his parents. Well, his parents had, had died long before he did, oh, and the will didn't say anything else. It didn't say um, who would get his estate if his parents um, had died before him. And so the, the result was, uh, under the law, that his estate went to his brother, which was his closest surviving heir. Unfortunately, in this case, um, in this particular case, his brother was the one person that he hated the most in the world and would have been the last person who he wanted to leave his estate to. Um, and so it was quite unfortunate from, you know, from the family's perspective. Um, you know, they, they ended up, uh, they, they were quite upset that, uh, that this was the result at the end of the day. Well, fortunate for the brother, but... Uh... Yeah, so, yeah, one person was happy about the outcome. It's so, it's crazy to think about, though, like when I actually started thinking about what that would be like to... I mean, granted, we're all alive and thankfully here, but like what that would be like to be on your, you know, even on your deathbed or incapacitated, but recognize that there's something that you haven't taken care of or like feel that feeling of everything you work so hard for to potentially mm -hmm. be distributed not the way you want. That feels horrible. And that happens all the time. Like we hear these stories all the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's why you want to take care of this when you're healthy and when you're when you're able to do it. Because you never know uh, from day to day, um, you know, whether tomorrow you'll have the ability to do that. So, I, but I want to get back to your question, Franco, because I haven't answered it yet. So you asked about how often should somebody revisit their estate planning. What I tell my clients after we finish up the estate planning process, and, and I put it into a letter to them as well, is that they should revisit their estate planning whenever there's a significant change in their life circumstance. Mm -hmm. So if there's a if there's a divorce, if there's a remarriage, if there's a, a even a child that gets married, um, an adult child, um, you know all of those things are reasons to pull out the your your copy of the documents, read over them again, and and even uh, if there are no significant changes, I recommend to clients that at least once every five years they pull out their documents again and take a look over them, and sometimes it, that might take ten minutes, and you say everything's fine, and you put them away for another five years, but that's what I would recommend. What's your process? Uh, are you in touch with your clients uh, if you don't hear from them over a period of five years? Uh, it depends on the clients. Um, I, I'm not able to do that with all of my clients just because of the sheer numbers involved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the clients that have the um, the, the larger and, and more complex um, scenarios, I, I typically am in contact with them on a regular basis. So I'll make a point of, of calling them and, and just seeing if there's any changes. But I, I'm not able to do that with everybody. And so, you know, I make a point in... in uh, sending out my reports to clients when the process is done to tell them uh, to recommend to them that they revisit on a regular basis. And it's, I always think about that because I've had moments where I've noticed on like social media or something that somebody's divorced or split up with their partner, so I'll see them with a new person, and I'm like, wait a minute, their beneficiary and their life insurance is their ex-wife or their ex-husband. Or mm -hmm. I've seen it many times, and I've come in the next day and, and asked, can we pull up so and so's insurance policy and see who the beneficiary is? And then it's their ex, and I'll contact them, and they just—it's not something people think about when they end relationships or make these life changes. Update my will, update or my parents. insurance, update my beneficiary. Yeah. Uh, tell somebody where this is at, what this is at, who's the beneficiary, who is in charge if something happens. Um, and it's funny because I always, you know, it kind of keeps me up when I think about it at night. I'll be like, oh crap, I need to contact so-and-so and make sure they've updated it. But it's tough because, you know, at the same time, it, there's a responsibility on both parts. I think we're the professionals and we know they should be updating it. But I'd love it if you know if everyone kind of stepped up and said, "Okay, I need to make sure I'm on top of these things too." And and I'm just as guilty here. Like I said, I sat down 
two minutes into this episode and said, I do not have a will. So I get it. Yeah. I get it. And yeah. I think people need some nudging. You know, you need to give people the nudge once in a while. But hopefully, if nothing else, people can listen even just to this episode and recognize that, you know, it's time that we all sort of take action and take that first step. It might take two to three hours, but it will enable uh, each one of us to really protect everything we've worked our entire lives to build, whether yeah. it's 20, 30, even if you're in your 20s, but you have an asset. You know, you said at the beginning, the only people who shouldn't have a will are people who own nothing. Yeah, Right? Exactly. And, and even if it's a $20,000 car or a $300,000 property, whatever, if that one thing you own, if you worked your butt off to get that, you know, who do you want that to go to? Yeah. You want it to go to your parents. You want it to go to your brother. You want it to go to your sister. Your your whatever it might be. And I think, I think that's something that you know we need to start looking at. And whatever whatever stage of life you're in, um, and I think this is a good way to lead into next steps. What people can do. But I think no matter what stage of life you're in, if you're 20 years old but you're saving for your first home and you're getting married or you're thinking about having a, you're 25 and pregnant or you're 30 and you're 30. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I'm not 25 and pregnant, but whatever stage of life you're in, I think the next steps really uh, apply for anybody. Yeah, what, what, what are the next steps? That's a great question. So, next Richard, uh, we've convinced people, you've been able to convince people to get the will done now. I can imagine everyone just rushing to the door to get it done. Yep. What are next steps for people? Right. Well, what's something that uh, listeners can do uh, today, to, tonight maybe? Um, you know, sit down and have a conversation with, um, you know, the important people in your life, your your, your spouse, your partner. Um, sit down and have a conversation about this. Start the conversation and, and say, um, you know, d decide that it's time to deal with this. So I think that's that's something that everyone can do right away. Even have a conversation with yourself before you have that. Like, who are the important people? Really write that yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Think about it. Go through it with yourself and, and make some notes. Uh, what are the things that are important to you? What are your... What are the things that um, you would want to see happen when you die? So that's, I think that's number one. Um, I think, you know, beyond that, um, it, it's, it's going to depend on what advisors you have in place already. So start with the advisors you already have. If you have a financial advisor, um, um, start the conversation with them. Um, uh, you know, financial advisors can, can help you begin the estate planning process, getting you organized to figure out what assets you have already and, and um, what plans you already do have in place. And then uh, that'll help you to get organized and, and take the next step. You know, I think the, the, the third thing would be um, make contact with an estate planning professional. Um, you know, if your affairs are really simple, that, that might be a notary. But in most cases, it'll be a, a local attorney or, or lawyer who specializes in that field. Find somebody who knows what they're doing, who, um, who ha has done uh, many wills and estate plans before. I wish you had more time because I will... The next question I have is describing the difference between a notary and uh, a lawyer that specializes in estate <laughs> planning. And go in 60 seconds. No. But, but we only got two minutes. Uh, do you think that's enough time to well, address Well, I'll, I'll address that really high level. Like a, a notary, um, notaries are capable of preparing uh, very basic wills that don't have trust provisions in them. So if it's simply a matter of appointing an executor, a guardian, and leaving your estate to a couple of named individuals, uh, notary may be able to help you with that at, at uh, relatively low cost, um, but it, you know, um, in most cases, uh, I would recommend to people that they uh, reach out to an estate planning lawyer or attorney. Okay, great. Thank you. That was actually very quick. Efficient. <laughs>
Uh, I enjoyed uh, this conversation. Uh, we enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank us. you, Richard. That was very helpful. Thank you both. I enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed it uh, also. And tune in next week as we have the owners of the Dirty Apron uh, joining us, author also of the cookbook, uh, The Dirty Apron, and uh, look forward to that conversation as they talk about their life as being business owners, having a family, and building their finances. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so enjoy the weekend. Have a wealthy week. week. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please join Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski again for another edition of Conversations with Money next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wealthy week. Mm-hmm.